Good morning. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and we got the last laugh on all those who left on spring break, didn't we? Oh well. Welcome to Missouri. Hey, if you're visiting today, my name's Mark. I'm one of the ministers here. And let me tell you where we've been in this sermon series while you're turning to Revelation 2 so that you can connect if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks. We began a series called Keep the Words. We're looking at the revelation of John found at the end of your New Testament. Now, many times when you study the revelation of John, there's a lot of attention and focus spent on the images, the, the seven bowls, the seven seals broken on the parchment, the the dragons, the great city, the prostitute. and All of those are projected by us to explain what John was seeing and to make application to our day. We're not approaching Revelation that way because I believe the Revelation of John should lead us more toward present-day application than it should toward end-time prediction. It is called a prophecy, but it's not a prophecy as defined by a prediction. It's a prophecy that means a revealing, a revealing about who God is, and what God wants from us and for us. So in light of all that, we have been focusing on the commands, the imperative verbs, or the bossy words that are found in the Revelation of John. These are the things we're supposed to do or become. There there are 29 of these imperatives, these commands, demands of God. There are, in, in the 29, there are some that are negatives, do not do this. And then there are some that are positives, do this. We've chosen to focus on eight of these commands, and we've looked at some of them so far in our series. Uh, In week one, we looked at the command to keep or guard the words of God, and this is focused on to be able to live out what God is revealing about himself, we need to understand what he has said. And so to keep or guard those words is important. Many Christians, I believe, are trying to live out a life of faith without understanding what faith means to God what he expects of us, and how we're to respond. So to keep the words is very important. Last week we looked at come and see and the word right, that God revealed in a vision to John who he was, what he was doing, and what that should encourage us in. And John wrote all of them down for us to be blessed by, both of those being commands, to come and see and to write. And last week, if you weren't with us, you can go online and listen to it. I would encourage you to do so because it revealed to us Four things that we should see that God revealed to John. Because remember, the revelation of John had to make sense to John's seven church audience to which he wrote this revelation. If we apply something that fits 2,000 years later and that doesn't make sense to John's audience at that moment, we're misapplying the words of God. And we need to be very, very careful. That's why we don't want to focus so much on the end time speculation. And instead, we want to focus on exactly what God has told us to do. And attending to this is very, very important for us. So I want to look at the fourth word in our third week, and that is the command to repent. And this is a common Christian word. Uh, We hear it quite often. It's a word that's really not used very much in our culture. People understand what it is, but if anybody tells you to repent, you either blow them off or laugh at them because they're being funny. It's found 34 times in the New Testament. It's a common usage. There's not a lot of variations in how it's used. And in those 34 uses in the New Testament, 12 of those are found specifically in the Revelation of John. So it is a key word, a key command, and it's found predominantly in chapters 2 and 3 as John writes to these seven very specific churches and he encourages them to repent. 
a word. It's, it's a, com, a combination Greek word, which means from the mind. It comes from two Greek words, meaning from the mind. And it's focused for us in our culture. The way that we have defined repentance is to change your mind. Yet it has a far broader and deeper and more theologically impacting understanding throughout its usage in the New Testament. In, in American culture, it means to change your mind. In the Greek language, it's an action. It's a command you do. And it just doesn't mean think differently. It means to live differently. I'd like to show you how this looks. If you go with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, to the church at Ephesus, one of the seven churches that John's revealing God to through this revelation, uh, Jesus is recorded as saying these words for John to write down. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Notice that repentance means to do these things. It's not just changing your mind. It's doing something with that change of mind. Change of heart, even if you will. The church at Ephesus was very busy without devotion. They were doing a lot of God things, but they weren't doing them for God. And they were told to change which is really what repent means, a military word. It means to change direction, and it's about face. Revelation 2.16, to the church at Pergamum. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In context, if you look at Revelation 2.14, the people of Pergamum had been warned against false teachers who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. That command to, to change away from a culture that was offering them something that was not useful or beneficial to them, Jesus said, repent or I will come and by the words of my mouth, I will condemn you. We live in a culture that says God doesn't mean what he said. And you and I get to choose whether or not he does. And if he does, the command is to repent. Revelation 2.21, to the church at Thyatira. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. Once again, an action. They had, a, they had fallen in love with culture and had given themselves to culture for their own satisfaction and Jesus said to that early church, pay attention, I will not suffer with this much longer, and, and when I come, they will suffer. Revelation 3.3 3, to the church at Sardis. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Wake up. It's an action. It's a response. It's not just a mental process of saying, wow, something should change. It's allowing it to change. It's choosing change, and it's living that fully out. Revelation 3.19, to the church at Laodicea, probably the most famous of the seven churches spoken to. It's the one you remember that's neither hot nor cold, lukewarm, and Jesus said, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Make a choice. And Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Change. It's not just mentally saying I need to be different. It's saying I need to act different and choose to be different. 
So in summary of the five churches that have been spoken to with the command to repent, he tells them to devote themselves totally to God first, to trust God's words, to flee immorality, and to respond with obedience. I've been doing this. It's, it's kind of been fun. I don't want it to become worn out. But remember where we began when Dr. Randy Harris of Abilene Christian said, there are three things to remember about Revelation. God's team wins. You get to pick a team. Don't be stupid. And this is what repent means, that we get to choose and we get to respond. There are two churches that he doesn't tell to repent, the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. And I encourage you this week to read chapters 2 and 3 about those churches because they were suffering and struggling, but they were faithful. They were loving. But if you think the command to repent, which I, I assume most of us don't believe that Christians need to repent because we're saved by grace, yet it's not true. Remember, John's revelation was going to seven churches, and God told those churches to repent, full of believers. But there's also a repentance called upon everyone, even unbelievers. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 9, if you will. We'll be looking at verse 20, Revelation 9. And John sees the unbelievers, and they're, they're epitomized in the Revelation as city dwellers. Not that God's against cities, but it really stands as an image of culture. And in Revelation 9.20, the rest of mankind did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Notice here that they had been given the same opportunity, but they did not take it. And in Revelation 16, 9, it shows what happens to those who do not repent. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Now, I believe that the word repentance is mocked today. You expect a preacher. In fact, some people will walk out of here and say, oh, you gave it to us today, and you feel somehow better about yourself because I got up in your face. Yet I need you to know that repentance is mocked by culture because many of us think that it is a challenge to who we are. No, it's actually a biblical challenge to become who you're supposed to be. And if repentance offends you because someone tells you you need to change, then you're going to have a hard time with Jesus because he does not accept us as we are. He comes to make us what we've always dreamed of being, his, 100%. Timothy Keller says, people know instinctively that if Christianity is true, they will lose control and not be able to live any way they wish. And that's why repentance is difficult for us. Andy Stanley used the following explanation or illustration. I find it very helpful. He said the reason people don't repent is because they think what they did was a mistake. And we like the word mistake because of the feelings it gives us. Here's why. Because if something is a mistake, it can't be punished. How many of us have said to our parents one time, I didn't mean it. Have you ever been hurt by somebody? I mean physically like poked in the eye or slapped or elbowed by accident, and they look at you, and what do they say? I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, and that makes all the pain go away, doesn't it? Absolutely not. I look at Braden, and I go, yeah, it still hurts. If you meant to or not, it was accurate. Mistakes. We like the word mistakes. We think if we did something wrong, then we are mistakers. 
oh yeah, I'm sorry, I had an inappropriate relationship. It was just a mistake. No, it's a sin. We're not mistakers, we're sinners. I grew up in a home with Dale and Marilyn Christian. And there was a rule. You never told my parents no. And it was hard to translate. Mark, would you like some peas? Oh my gosh, no. But I couldn't say that. I had to say it kindly. My dad would say, don't talk to your mother like that. I would prefer not to have any peas. Ever. (laughs) And then I would go to my room. Mission accomplished. There were no peas in my room. But I got in trouble for my attitude with the word no. I can't imagine, ever, my father saying, pick your shoes up. No! That would be the last day on this earth and definitely in his home. Because mom and dad didn't play. They were the authority, and you would honor authority in their home. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. But how come I have less problem telling God no? And that's not a mistake. That's a choice. God says, don't have that relationship with this person. I will if I want to. God says, I don't want you to. I'm going to. That's telling God no. God says, don't cheat in business. Be honest. Be above reproach. Even if you lose a contract, be an, do an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. And what do we say to God? No. I can do it my way and make more money. We're constantly telling God no in a way we wouldn't tell our own parents no. That's the difference between being a mistaker and being a sinner. So let's clear the air. I, Mark Christian, have always been, by my own choosing, a sinner, not a mistaker. And should I have made a mistake by ignorance or accident, which I'm capable of, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about the moment that God said, pick up your shoes, and we said what? No. And then wondered why. You see, the difference with mistakes is, if you're a mistaker, all you have to do is try harder. And that's what we've done to repentance. I I, I did something wrong, but I'll I'll be a better person. Starting tomorrow, I'm not going to speak that way. I'm not going to treat her that way. I'm not going to be that person. And that's what a mistaker does. They just try to change their behavior. A sinner, sin is punishable. And you can't fix what's punishable by just trying harder. In fact, the punishment, first hour got it, and they came through the monsoon. Let's see how second service is doing. The punishment for sin is what? Death. That's why the world mocks us. Because they expect you to come to church and have some bald guy stand on the stage and yell at you about how horrible you are. But the first way to become healthy in the kingdom of God is to admit you're a sinner and not a mistaker. Because when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. But if you go to God and say, "Ah, I had a bad day, you're a liar. You made bad choices, which is the difference between a mistake and a sin. You see, if I'm a mistaker, the solution to my problem is I get better. If I'm a sinner, the only solution to my problem is I die. It's the only solution to sin according to the scriptures. And Jesus is the savior that offers us the solution. But Jesus can only be a savior of sinners. He can't be the savior of mistakers. And that's the challenge for all of us. 
So the question of the morning, to properly understand the command, the imperative, the bossiness of God to tell us to repent, falls to me on one core question. Is God a good God who cares for us? Or is he a God who sabotages our life and demands things from us that are unreasonable? Because how you answer that dichotomy will choose whether or not you'll repent. If he's a God who loves you, ask me, Mark, why wouldn't you tell your parents no? When I was younger, it was purely out of fear. I didn't want to be spanked. I didn't want to be sent to my room. I didn't want to be in trouble. I didn't want my parents mad at me. As I got older and I saw my father work two and three jobs and I saw my mom taking care of four boys she didn't understand at all, my respect for my parents grew. To this day, I still couldn't tell my parents no. Not because I'm incapable. I choose not to. And if my mom and dad would call me and say, Mark, I need you to come home and paint the house, I'd rather eat peas than paint a house. But that's my mom and dad. So I'd ask Heather for money to hire someone to paint their house. This is what I do. <laughs> but I wouldn't tell them no. Okay. It all comes down to whether my God's a good God who cares for me or a God who sabotages our lives and doesn't want us to have any fun. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary, our dictionary, defines repentance as to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's own life. To dedicate oneself. You see, it's not believing, repentance is not believing that God is right, but that I need to live or die on that belief. Did you catch that? Repentance is not simply saying, I shouldn't have done that. Repentance is saying, I shouldn't have done that and I want to live differently. Because repentance is when our belief hits our hands, feet, and mouth. It's when a changed heart combines with a changed mind that produces a changed life. That's what repentance means. Instead of the American version of, I'm sorry I got caught. Preacher tells a story, true story, of this one man who kept coming down. He said, it seemed like every week he came to the altar at the end of the service to be prayed for with his sin. And all he would pray over and over is, Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. Finally, after weeks of this, the preacher leaned over, whispered in his ear this prayer, Lord, kill the spider. Repentance is cobwebs if at all it is is you're feeling sorry. Killing the spider is when you change your behavior. There's a difference between saying, I'm sorry I did something, and changing a behavior from doing wrong things to honoring God by choosing God's things. It's a, it's a crucial passage. John, the, the baptizer, was known as the preacher of repentance. If you ask people, what was John's sermon about today? <laughs> For the 59th week, repentance. He didn't change his tune. But I want you to notice something unique. It's found in Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Talking about John, it said, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Notice that John alludes to the fact that it was the work of the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sin that caused them to want to hear John's teaching. Even those that were against him were compelled to listen. He said in verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Notice that there's an action in John's expectations. It's not just a feeling. It's not a thought. It's an action. 
Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce, produce an action. Good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. I don't know if you hear the echoes, but in Luke chapter 3, Luke echoes the same question that would be asked in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Do you remember what happened when they were confronted with their sin in the book of Acts? What did they cry out? What must we do to be saved? Interesting. Luke's echoing here between his gospel of Jesus and his history of the church. And they asked, what should we do then, the crowd asked. And John answered, the man who has two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Notice that John didn't say to the people when they came to him saying, we have this conviction that we've not lived the way we're supposed to live. John didn't say, just go home and feel bad. He didn't say, just pray a little prayer. He said, live differently because the conviction of your love for God will no longer allow you to look at God and say no. Instead, we look at him and we say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. It's a beautiful passage. And then Luke does something amazing in Luke 3.18. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and it preached the good news to them. In a world that says repentance is an ugly word and how dare does your preacher have the right to tell you you're a sinner? Who has the right to tell another person they're wrong? Jesus does. I don't. Jesus does. And by the authority of his scriptures, I want you to see for yourself that Jesus has made it clear. He's not dealing with mistakers. He can only deal with sinners. And that takes confession and honesty. But it was good news that repentance is available. It wasn't a curse. Repentance isn't go to your room and think about it. Repentance is drop your life of sin and return to the Father of love. It's a gift. 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul wrote, Godly sorrow brings repentance, an action that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Each week we've been using an example. I told you, I want to pull someone from Scripture away from our, the book of Revelation. And I want to show you an example of it being done well or not being done well. Today I'd like to take you to the New Testament, Luke chapter 19, the story of a little guy named Zacchaeus. Now most of us go, ah, I remember Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. But it's not a children's story. I believe, and I think I can make the case, Zacchaeus may be the most American story found in all the scriptures. Let me explain why. He was a successful man who had a comfortable life. He was a tax collector if you'll pardon the expression, he was in bed with the Roman government, which meant he could charge anything he wanted. As long as Rome got their amount that they wanted, he could overcharge that, and whatever he overcharged, he got to keep, and nobody could get at Zacchaeus because he was protected by power, he was protected by authority, and he was protected by other sinners. Zacchaeus had a comfortable, successful life, 
and it would remain that way until he died. However, one day he hears about this rabbi coming to town, this unique teacher who was teaching a perspective that was convicting people of their sin, not mistakes. And he went to see this teacher, and as the teacher came into town, as always, there were massive crowds surrounding him, and Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree because all the Bible says is he was a man of little stature. He wasn't big enough to see over the crowd. So he climbed up in a tree, and Jesus, seeing him, recognized him and called him by name. There's no record of Jesus knowing him previous. It was one of those divine moments. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. And they began to discuss, and they began to talk. And Zacchaeus was convicted by the truth of Jesus Christ. And in Luke 19:8, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now. Talk about action. Talk about decisiveness. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, and I'm sure that brought a snicker in the house. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That is a bold statement. That's an action. Why four times? Because in the Old Testament law, if you were guilty of defrauding somebody, he's confessing his sin. If you're guilty of defrauding somebody, you paid them four times the amount you cheated them from. Do you remember when Nathan, the prophet, came to David and said there was a man who had a bunch of lambs and he took the one lamb from the shepherd who only had one? Do you remember what David said? That man should repay back four times what he's taken. It was law. What Zacchaeus is doing in his repentance is acknowledging the truth that he had disobeyed God's law and he wanted to do things God's ways, even in his punishment. That's what repentance looks like, church. It's not I feel bad. It's I want to feel different. And I want to be different. So what does this look like in our lives? In the early church, the history of it found in the book of Acts, I want to read two passages to you. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. I want you to notice something significant here. God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as prince and savior, that Jesus might give repentance. Have you ever thought of it, the way the Bible thinks of it? Repentance is not something you choose. It's an opportunity presented to you and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Now, if I said to you, who gives you forgiveness of sins? Every one of us would go, Jesus does. Who gives you repentance? Most of us would say, I do. No, Jesus does. It's an opportunity. It's like being in Zacchaeus' house when Zacchaeus thought, the Son of God is in my house. I need to respond. We're in the presence of the King. Is our answer yes, sir, or no? That's what repentance does. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted, granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Who made it possible? God did, through Jesus. As much as you have been given the opportunity to be forgiven, you've also been given the opportunity to repent. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Quoting God, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Notice the action that comes from the heart and mind that has changed. If we will do these things, God says, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their lands. 
each morning because I'm given the great opportunity of being one of the ministers here. I take it very seriously that I make a time each morning to pray for things outside of me. And one of the things I'm compelled, it's, it's a command of scripture, it's an imperative, that I am to pray and you and I are both to pray for the leaders and rulers of our nation. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's hard because I don't like them, but I don't have the right to not like them, so I get over it. Sometimes I don't like what they do. And sometimes I don't like where they're taking us. And yet I pray because I believe the God who can break me down and offer me repentance is the same God who can break them down and offer them repentance. And I am fighting for that. Because when people humble themselves and bow before God and repent of their sins, there is freedom and life and renewal. And I want that for our nation. And we're compelled by Scripture to don't just talk about our leaders. Pray that God break them to repentance. Because God is gentle and he's good and he's accurate. And I also have a hard time praying for this. The people I've hurt people who I made choices that weren't mistakes, they were sins. And I wonder if they'll ever know if I'd ever be able to tell them or show them how sorry I am. And I struggle with that. But then I'm reminded, the good God who's led me to repentance, if he can break this hard heart, then maybe he can speak into theirs and take it and allow my hardness not to hurt them anymore. You see, when I read the scriptures, Repentance is not just, I'm sorry I did it. I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance is, what can I do to be different? To live differently. Because I believe if the early church was given the command to repent, as John gave those early churches, then the power of that word has not changed over 2,000 years. The opportunity to repent is still present today. So what I'd like to do is just take a few moments Because some of us sit here today thinking, you know what, I had a good week. I don't know that I've done any of the big ones. That's what the world's done to repentance. I read my Bible specifically and did some research, and here's some of the things in Scripture that you and I need to think of repenting of. Taking our sorrowful hearts and turning it into renewed actions. The first is, have you thought of repenting from incorrect teaching? That, you know, you you believe... The Bible said this, and for the longest time, you lived as if the Bible said this, but now you've gone to keeping the word of God and you realize you're wrong. Have you repented of that? Have you said, it's okay. It's so hard in our culture. It's not other places in the world I've been. It's amazing. When there's a decision time in churches internationally, there's an expectation that most everyone is going to be open enough to be honest. But in American churches, it's shocking if anybody moves. Because we're all worried about what everybody else thinks. But I'm here to tell you that the opportunity of repentance is a gift. It's not an obligation. And as freely as you took forgiveness, you should take repentance. False teaching. Well, I don't want to admit I'm wrong. Then you can't repent. And sometimes holding on to incorrect teaching, things that we used to purport, things we used to project, things we held on to and fought other Christians with, and we open our Bibles later and we look and we say, it wasn't right. Have you repented of that? The Bible tells us we can. Have you repented of half-heartedness? The church of Ephesus was told, you're lukewarm. Pick a side. 
Make a choice. Quit, quit trying to make the world happy and Jesus happy. You can't serve two masters because you'll hate the one and love the other. You can't. Have you repented of that? Have you repented of works you didn't do? You see, for many of us, we repent of sins we've done, but we don't repent of a lack of obedience. And I don't want you to feel shame. I want you to find freedom. God is waiting for you to come back and say, you know, sir, you asked me to do this, and I, I didn't do it. And I had an opportunity to do it, and I regret that. I want to be different. That's called repenting. Because God is not keeping records of our wrong. He's trying to free our heart from sin. You see, we're not mistakers. We're sinners. And the gift of repentance is for anyone who has sinned. And it's given through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't quite understand this, this is new to you, you're here for the first time going, oh my goodness. We'd love to tell you that this is good news, not shameful. And around this room are tables, and some of you may move there today because you need someone to journey with you in prayer this week, that you need to have a tough conversation, you need to to fight a tough battle, but this isn't willpower, this is spirit's power. Remember, there is a gift being offered you every moment of your life. You don't repent one time, you repent every time you have to choose, yes sir, or no. Repentance is for the believer, it's for the unbeliever, it's the gift of God. It starts inside of us and it explodes outside of us and it's the way God mends everything together. And one day we're going to bow before Jesus Christ and we are going to confess with clarity, he is God, he is everything he promised to be and we have no regrets. Or we're going to see him coming and going, oh no, oh no. I believe too much in what everyone else told me instead of believing in what he told me. And so today, the Bible says, repent and find life. Let's stand together.